Good morning. We continue in our study of the Beatitudes together, the, the exploration of what is the good life and the way that Jesus defines it. I just want to make one note at, at the outset today. I, I, I'm going to footnote on the front end. There's two resources that have been really helpful to me. I won't be able to quote them at every point because I think they've influenced the way that I'm reading this and thinking about this and so many of my words and references. So I just want to let you know that I'm reading from these, I'm heavily influenced by them, and if you want to dig deeper, they would be two resources I would highly commend to you. One is called Hero of Heroes by Ian Duguid. It is a, a, an exploration specifically of the Beatitudes. And then secondly is Martin Lloyd-Jones's work called Studies on the Sermon of the Mount. Two phenomenal books that have certainly influenced the message I'm about to preach to you. So I just want to make sure I give them their, the due credit. Uh, this week, I was sitting with a friend, a new friend, who in the course of our meeting shed a lot of tears. And this friend, time and again, through really good, honest tears, said over and over, I'm so sorry about the tears. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I finally, about midway through the meeting, I said, hey, listen, you do not have to apologize for tears. They were good, faithful, honest tears. But what this friend was expressing, I think a lot of us feel there's a certain amount of embarrassment. Um, it even feels wrong. It feels like our tears betray maybe a lack of trust in God that oftentimes because of the way we've defined the good life is only and always coming out on top, only and always being the overcomer, the victor, the one that has a bright and shining smile. There's a part of us that feels like real genuine sadness is opposed to the divine good life. And then we come and we sit at the feet of King Jesus as he's exploring for us what the good life is and he says something like this, blessed are those who mourn. And we talked about last week that even his, his term blessed can, can literally mean happy, which it's at this point where some some commentators let off on that definition of the word because they go, well, this is just absurd to say happy are those who mourn. But what I want to argue this morning, what I want to explore together in this text is that in Jesus, those two categories are not mutually exclusive. That he is actually going to lead us into a place of recognizing that the fullness of joy and blessing and the good life is only unlocked and experienced for those that really understand what it is to grieve and to mourn, to really be undone. It reminds me of a, a movie that's been a favorite at our house. It's one of those that's made for kids, but not really. You know, it's made for the parents. Did anybody see Inside Out? Inside Out, I think the, the kids like it, but I think they understand some, and it's the parents that are like wiping tears away, like, so good. It's actually made for mom and dad. And, and this movie is a story, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's, the, it's the main characters are the emotions inside this little girl. And so they are the characters, you're watching them interact with one another while she's experiencing all of these circumstantial realities in her life. And, and joy 
because this girl in her youthful exuberance, Joy has the main handles on the controls in the early part of her life. And Joy views the character known as sadness as kind of like a threat, an enemy. She's got to keep sadness away from the handles of this girl's emotional life. But as she continues to endure the realities of living in a broken world, this little girl starts to struggle to understand how to make sense because Joy keeps saying, well, you're not allowed. We've got to keep smiling and everything has to be okay. And the, the grand reveal in this movie, spoiler alert, is that, that really for this girl to grow up and to be able to operate in the midst of a broken world, sadness has to have her hands on the controls sometimes. Where sadness is silenced, joy is muted. Where sadness is silenced because we go, well, that's not the good life. I'm not allowed to be sad. I'm not really supposed to grieve. Everything's supposed to be happy and okay. That sort of happiness becomes thinner and weaker and more pale until it means nothing at all. You see, happy are those who mourn. Jesus in his brilliance understood something that I think we try to shy away from, that there is actually blessings in the morning because they shall be comforted. Those who mourn shall be comforted. What we're going to explore as we study this text together is this reality, that future divine comfort is so good. Like divine comfort is so good that it renders current mourning a blessing. This is what Jesus, I think, is articulating. I want us to explore it together by trying to make sense of what really is mourning and what really is comfort. So, first, what is mourning? What is Jesus talking about when he says, blessed are those who mourn? I think in order to get at this in the Beatitudes, we first have to express, what is mourning not? What is it not? There's a couple of things we just need to cross off the list before we make sense of this. And the first is this. By mourning, he doesn't mean, um, he doesn't mean like the selfish sadness when we don't get our way. The selfish sadness when we don't get our way. There's a lot of sadness in the course of our lives and we have to be honest evaluators of our sadness because a lot of the sadness in our lives is not the sort of mourning that Jesus is talking about. So he's not just saying blessed is every kind of sadness because some sadness, the scriptures tell us, is just selfish. It's because we had a design for our life and it had to work in these ways and when it doesn't pan out in those ways, all of a sudden I am a constant and weepy mess. And we see this in Hosea chapter 7 and verse 14. This is a moment where Things for the Israelites have not panned out well because they've been in consistent rebellion to God and now they're reaping the whirlwind as a result and they start to, to cry and in their minds they're repenting and fasting but this is God's word, his word about that moment. He says, they don't cry for me from the heart. They wail upon their beds. For grain and wine, they gash themselves. They rebel against me. What's he saying? He's saying, some mourning is actually just a mourning of the, the natural consequences of our poor behavior. And he's going, that, that's not the sort of mourning I'm talking about. The sort of selfish mourning goes, well, things haven't panned out because I've continued to choose my own path and chart my own course. And now things aren't going well and there's sadness as a result. He's going, well, yes, that will reap 
sadness, but those are not the sort of tears, that's not the sort of mourning that God is aiming for, that he's calling out of us. It's not just selfish sadness because things didn't pan out our way. And I think it's helpful to note it's, it's not just a natural pessimism. There's part of us that some of us are kind of bent towards sadness and, and you hear blessed are those who mourn and you're like, that's right, we should all just be sad all the time. And I, I, I think we need to recognize that Jesus is not like blessing Eeyore here. You know, oh, you know. Like Eeyore has a way of finding the cloud that goes with every silver lining. You know, there, there's one Winnie the Pooh where his friends come and they go, Eeyore, happy birthday. And he goes, what is a birthday anyway? Here today, gone tomorrow. Right? Like this idea of no matter what happens, I'm going to figure out how to be sad in the midst of this. And Jesus is not inviting us to be dour and sullen-faced and sad because we just assume the worst all the time. So when he's saying, blessed are those who mourn, what is it that he's saying? I think there is a a beautiful kingdom mourning that Jesus is beckoning us to in the text, that the scriptures invite us into. And, and I think it's important to pay attention to the way that his blessings flow off his lips. Remember, this is the start of his most famous sermon. And the first words out of his mouth that we interacted with last week had to do with blessings are those who are bankrupt disciples, right? Those who are poor in spirit. And we said that there were two words for poor and he didn't choose just like the moderately poor. He, he chose the, the abject poverty. You are bankrupt in soul. Now, I think there's progression to what he's saying. He's saying, blessed are you if you've realized that you are bankrupt at a soul level. And then the very next step in is, and by the way, blessed are those who mourn. He's talking about a mourning that flows from an impoverishment of spirit, a brokenness of spirit. It's the sort of mourning that 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10 say. It says this, Paul speaking over the people says, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death you see he says there's a worldly sadness and there's a godly sadness worldly sadness is turned in on ourselves things aren't panning out the way i wanted that's an eeyore sadness of oh it's all about me but he says there's a godly grief that considers my life with the backdrop of god's holiness and when i realize that i am bankrupt of spirit even my best acts have been an offense to the god who loves me because i am so bent in on myself it starts to create a genuine grief over the brokenness that we experience at a heart level and in the the world around us. You see, kingdom mourning, I think, unfolds in two different ways. Real kingdom mourning unfolds in two different ways. The first is this. It's mourning over our own sin. Like real grief over the fact that we have tremendous capacity to break the heart of God. One of the real signs that someone has been born again and is a son or daughter of the king is that their sin grieves them. 
If you've never had that experience, if you've never really wrestled with the fact that my sin wounds God, it's a, it's a checkpoint, it's a litmus test for what is the place of the Holy Spirit in my life and in my journey? Have I come in brokenness to God and repented and asked him in? Because when the Holy Spirit starts to indwell us, we begin to grieve over our sin. It sounds in some ways like a song written by Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was one of the great hymn writers in church history. He wrote 800 plus hymns, many of, many of them you've no doubt heard at different points. One that maybe you haven't heard is called this, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And I just want you to hear, hear Isaac Watts wrestling honestly with the grief that his sin was causing in his heart. This is kingdom mourning. He says this, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? Did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? He's, he's meditating on the blood that's running from Jesus' head and considering those very wounds were caused by my decisions, my sin. He says, was it for crimes that I have done that he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when God the mighty maker died for his own creature's sin. And then here, I'll, I'll read this last one. He says this, Thus might I hide my blushing face when his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine, ear, mine eyes to tears. What he's saying is that when I consider the cross, when I consider his head, when I consider his groaning upon the tree, what I begin to realize is Jesus would have never experienced those things if it was not for your sin and mine. And the invitation for bankrupt disciples, for those who are impoverished of spirit, are to, are to begin to consider the ways that our sin has grieved God and we are invited to mourn over our sin. But not only that, when we begin to see the weight of our own sin, we then turn and we begin to see the weight of the sin in the world. We don't just mourn over our sin, we mourn over the brokenness of the world. We see it in every cross section. Psalm 119 verse 136 says this, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Now help me. Have you ever been ushered into that moment of starting to pay attention to the depth of your own brokenness and as it begins to break us and you go, oh God, as I wrestle with your law, I want to follow you, yet I continue to veer off course, wounding myself and those around me and your very heart. And as we begin to repent of that, we then turn and we realize it's not just me, but I'm one drop in an ocean of this reality that we as a humanity are, are drowning in the weight and the brokenness of sin. Have you ever grieved over the fact that everyone in every direction at one level or another has disregarded God's law? You see, the invitation towards kingdom mourning, he's going, this is what it would look like is to weep in these ways, to realize that the implications of this resistance to God's law is going to reap devastating devastating consequences in the hearts and the lives of people that we love. Like, 
We don't talk about hell enough. It makes us uncomfortable. But you know who talked about hell a lot? Jesus talked about it more than anyone else in the whole of the scriptures. Jesus, meek and mild, he talked about hell because it's real. And people are going to go there. Charles Spurgeon said this. I think he was beginning to understand what it is to grieve over the sin of the world around us. He said, if sinners are going to be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they're going to perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. You see, as we talk about kingdom mourning, what we're talking about is grieving over our sin and the sin of the world and the natural consequences as those unfold. You see, Jesus is not inviting us just to be upset about the way that things haven't panned out for us personally. He's going, would you consider that I am working on an eternal spectrum and that sin is breaking the good things that God has designed and prepared for his people. Would you weep? He's inviting us into this space. Why is it so beneficial? Why is it so beneficial that we would mourn? There's an old Arab proverb that says, all sunshine makes a desert. All sunshine all the time makes a desert. And the idea is this, that there's certain things that only the rains will produce. The rains of suffering bring in real harvest in ways that endless sunshine never will. Said another way, being introduced to real mourning and real growth, growth, pardon me, real mourning, real sadness, it actually expands our capacity to receive divine comfort. I've walked with people who've lived really, really protected lives. And it's not that we go and we seek out suffering, but those who, who have reached adulthood and, and beyond with very little real interaction with sadness and brokenness, it's as if they have a thimble full of capacity to receive God's comfort. It's like, well, well yes, I, I remember the sadness when I was, when I was in elementary school and, and my goldfish died and God was there for that, right? You know, like, I've lived this protected life. All has been happy and all has been good. It's like we have a thimble full of capacity to receive God's comfort. And the truth is, none of us wants suffering and struggle. None of us wants to feel the weight of our sin and experience the sin of those around us. But when we're ushered into those places where we feel it, it's as, it's as if God in his providence is reaching down and he's taking our thimble and he starts to expand it painfully, pressing down and pushing out. And all of a sudden, what is left is the capacity to receive divine comfort. When the waters of sorrows come, we receive in their wake divine comfort that produces health and strength and fruitfulness in the ways that nothing else ever could. You see, he's saying, blessed are those who mourn because they shall be comforted. 
It's expanding the capacity for us to receive God's comfort. Let's, let's talk a little bit about this divine comfort. Matthew 5, 4, did you hear it? Shall be comforted. That is a promise for the future. Future tense, promise. What Jesus is saying is that if you mourn, if you experience real kingdom mourning, rest assured, divine comfort is coming. You shall be comforted. What does this mean? I think two, two final thoughts as it relates to comfort. We, the first is this. We receive comfort now by savoring Christ. We can actually receive comfort now by, by seeing and knowing and savoring Christ. This is true at your conversion. By conversion, I mean that moment where you go from not trusting Christ to trusting in Jesus. You go from living in the kingdom of darkness to living in the kingdom of light. For many of you, you've experienced crossing that line of faith. And the great freedom and joy and life as you realize your sin is not going to be counted against you, that you are free and full and loved truly and completely. There is comfort truly at our conversion. To our friends who are here with us that have never experienced that, I want to continue to extend to you the invitation that Jesus so freely offers. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, he will give your soul rest. He can comfort you like no one else can. At our conversion, we experience comfort now. We also experience real comfort in secret places of repentance and intimacy with God. This is both over that sin, our sin, and the sin of the world. I remember, you know, many of you know that my brother died in a drunk driving accident when he was 29 years old. And I, I grieve that loss. And that, I, I think, where it causes real brokenness over the brokenness of the world and longing for God's kingdom to come. That can be real kingdom mourning that I offer back to God. And I remember in one particular moment, I was at, a, at these campgrounds and I was out laboring to memorize a scripture. I was praying. And as I was meditating and memorizing on the scripture, I was walking through the woods and, and I don't know how to explain it other than God met me. I can... You know, you have a handful of these moments in life. The lightning doesn't strike all the time, but sometimes the divine presence just descends in a place. And he met me and he talked with me about some things about my brother. And he comforted me in some ways that I would have never needed if I hadn't experienced loss like that. Now I wish I had my brother. Ah, but in the midst of a broken world, I'm delighted that I have God. He comforted me in that place. He gives that sort of comfort for those that will go to the secret place and hunger for him. He wants to meet with us and attend to us. He meets you in conversion. He meets you in the secret places of intimacy. He also meets us in corporate confession and the laying on of hands and praying. And a far less noble and a far less worshipful time in my life, I remember early in my marriage when some of my secret sexual sin came to light with me and my wife. Oh, the grief. Like the grief of being found out and the grief of having to process that with my wife. For us to share real tears over the brokenness of sin and her to, to extend grace to me and us to experience healing together as God's presence descended. Listen, 
if we are not grieving over our sin together, we're robbing ourselves of the comfort that God would bring. That was both one of the worst moments in my marriage and one of the best moments in my marriage because God ushered in healing and wholeness through my bride in a way that I began to experience freedom and sobriety and wholeness that I could have never known without the grief. If there's anything right now that's hiding in the shadows and that is dominating you, causing your bones to waste away, like the psalmist says, listen, in corporate confession, in the grief over our sin together, there is healing and divine comfort available. You see, divine comfort is available now in these ways, but also, brothers and sisters, let me speak this good news over you. Divine comfort is coming. Finally, and perfectly and unendingly in Jesus. Revelation 21, 4, he says this, I will, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. One day, Jesus, with his own hands, will wipe away our tears and secure our endless joy and comfort. And it is our walking the difficult providences and the difficult path, the grieving our sin and the sin of others, that in that moment will have expanded our capacity to receive his divine comfort forever. It will actually be the painful moments that we've walked through. It will be the moments of brokenness and sadness and loss that will expand and extend the joy of glory that we will in that moment not bemoan those moments, but we will with joy rejoice over them saying they have prepared me to receive the goodness of Jesus in ways that nothing else could. And the only reason that Jesus will be able to wipe away our tears is because he was a man of sorrows. Keep in mind, these beatitudes are not disjointed, hover above the ground principles. They are embodied realities that create a picture of Jesus himself. He is a man well acquainted with mourning and grief. And on the night in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, there's this really interesting phrase Later in the book of Matthew, it says this, he was sorrowful. And then it says he was very sorrowful, even unto death. It means that he was despairing of life even before he died. Like Jesus staring into the abyss of being made to become sin, he was sorrowful unto death. This was a man of grieving and mourning and the reason that he can wipe away your tears and mine is because in the moment where he bottomed out in sadness calling out, the father didn't comfort him. The one that deserved to be comforted endlessly and perfectly, the one who only in all of history suffered righteously, he didn't receive comfort so that you and I would so that we would never go without comfort. The reason that he can make this promise, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted, is because he knew he wouldn't be. And it was out of his love and his commitment to you and to me that he forfeited that comfort so that he one day would be able to take it up in resurrection glory and offer it to you and to me. So brothers and sisters, take heart today. Are you mourning 
Are you mourning properly over your brokenness, over the brokenness of the world around you, over the injustice of the world that is nipping at the edges at all times, over all of the sadness and the heartache? Listen, happy are those who mourn. Don't sidestep it. Don't deny it. Stare into it and feel it because as you do, what it is paving the way for, what it is preparing your heart for is the divine comfort that is so good and so certain and is coming in its fullness because of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We are an unbreakable people because Jesus has been broken on our behalf. We are a people that stand in the darkness and say, do your worst. We are a people that recognize that future divine comfort is so good, it even renders current mourning a blessing. Let me pray for us. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that you don't shy away from sadness. So many of us came in today carrying real sadness. Some of us feel like we need to apologize for our tears and I pray that in your grace and in the presence of your Holy Spirit that we would be people that don't apologize for our tears but that we we offer them as worship to you. Saying we do mourn. We mourn in the midst of a broken world and it's our very tears and our very sadness that speaks of our homesickness, of our longing for a home that we have yet to to inhabit. But we know, we know because of the ache and because of the longing that it's there and it's coming. And so we look forward to the day when you welcome us home, Jesus, and in, in hope we grieve differently than the world. We grieve with with anticipation, knowing that you're coming, that you will, you will wipe away every tear and you will secure our joy endlessly. Thank you for the blessing that is kingdom mourning. Help us to do that for your glory and for our ultimate joy. In Jesus' name we pray.